It's been so long, I feel like I should reintroduce myself. My name's Alice. I live in Melbourne, Australia, and I've been making this podcast since 2016. And I've been away for five weeks in New York City, staying in Brooklyn. And it has been amazing. It's been an amazing five weeks. I'm just back three days ago. Still very jet lagged uh, and can't really believe that that all happened and really wish I could do every part of that trip again. While I was there, I got to have lunch with Eileen Miles. It's very weird to say that, but that is what actually happened. Uh, This is all thanks to Pam Brown. Pam, you are amazing. I love you so much. You're so great. You're the boss. You're the queen. We love you. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much for introducing me to Eileen. Uh, They were so nice to me and so lovely to talk to. Um, I mean, this was just a consistent theme across the whole trip. Everyone was so freaking nice. Um, But yeah, so I met up with Eileen towards the end of the trip. we caught up in a cafe, which on reflection was not the wisest choice on my part. I think by this stage, this was quite late into the trip, I had gotten very used to like the degree of noise in New York and I didn't really realize how much background noise I was going to pick up by having the conversation there. Um, I moved a few times, tried to get away from louder people and and things that were happening in the street, but there's a lot of background noise on here and I'm sorry. I really am sorry about that. Um, My compromise here is that I am going to pop back in uh, maybe four or five times throughout this and read some of Eileen's poems, mostly because I want to, well, the real reason is that I just fucking love their work and uh, I just want to read it because I love it. Eileen Miles is one of the poets who I discovered really, really early on when I decided to get really serious about this stuff. And I used to have the Poetry Foundation's little app that you could press a button and get a random poem pop up. Just had to start again there because it is raining and they've got a new fridge in the office and it's loud. Background noise. Um, It was a poem called Honey Bear that I read. And it was one of those moments where I just thought, I want to do that. And now it is, what would that be, 13 years later? And I got to meet the poet who wrote that poem. I'm looking here at my copy of the selected 1975 to 2014, I Must Be Living Twice. This thing is battered. It's full of dog ears. It lives beside my bed. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I just feel so lucky that I got to have this conversation and I'm going to put it up today, Monday the 16th, um, because I can't really believe that it happened and I'm a bit worried that if I don't just put it out as soon as possible, somehow it will go away. (laughs) So yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Um, And as I say, I I really do apologize for all the, the background noise. Um, I hope it's listenable. I think Eileen says some really interesting stuff in this about 
like how they think about their own work and contemporary poetry and you know stuff about just living a life as a poet so I hope it's worth it and I will be popping back in at intervals to share some of my faves. Yeah, this is a total thrill. I can't really believe this is happening. Um, well, how'd you hear? <laughs> have you been to New York a bunch? Uh, I lived here for about four months in 2016. Oh. Um, we were here when, when the election happened, actually. Oh, boy. what yeah. a time. Yeah, it was a very interesting moment to be here. Mm -hmm. um, how do you know Pam? Well, that's a really good question. I think that she I I'm just guessing, but I think she might have sent a book to me. Okay. Well, I think we might have, and then I think I sent a book to her, so I think we started sharing right. our work. And have you met in person? Yeah, because I went to the, um, wh which festival was it? The one, Sydney? Is she, is, I can't remember where. Yeah, she's in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Would have been that one. Yeah, 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 we hung out. Yeah, and I've seen you speak. More than once. More yeah. than once, oh, Yeah, I've seen a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, hmm. and I saw you in Melbourne, a about four, maybe five years ago. Yeah, maybe, like yeah, that. yeah. Speaking there too. Oh, that's great. Mm. Um, besides myself, I can think of two other poets, Australian poets, off the top of my head, who've written work in response to yours. Oh, yeah. uh, how aware are you of your presence in Australian poetry? Only, only when I go there. Right. I think. I mean, I've, I've had, you know, like I think I've probably been solicited from journals and things like that. Yeah. I've received people's work. Yeah, w when I've gone, I've been really surprised at how actually known I'm. I am in yeah. Australia. It's really fun. Yeah. No, you are you're a famous Australian poet. That's so funny. Well, you know, I think poetry is such a funny institution because I think for a long time it seemed that the only poets are the more mainstream ones, like yeah. you know Sharon Olds and you know Billy Con who was getting imported. Yeah. You know, and um, and then but that doesn't ever s that doesn't acknowledge the kind of poet underground. Yeah, no, we we think you know. about you guys all the time and read you and talk about you yeah. and write in response to you. Like, yeah. I mean, I was just, I went to Edinburgh for the festival in August and what was really fun is I went to a queer comedy night and it wasn't that it was such good comedy, but what was really funny was that the first person who spoke was a British woman from Essex and all the jokes were about Essex, like it's some, you know, underclass place that everybody, you know. And then it was somebody from Scotland, then it was somebody from Australia, and then it was some, it was like that thing where I was just getting such a hit of, of the English-speaking world, and it's, you know, like, and maybe more so than, you know, I guess it's probably true, I mean, obviously New York is filled with people from all over the world, mm, mm. But, but there was something very particular about the array that we got in, Scotland, it was so cool. Yeah. You know? And then, you know, so exciting that we all speak the same language so differently. Yeah. I mean, to the point where it's, it, at certain moments, it's a different language. It is a completely, I'm, I'm having plenty of moments where I'm realizing that I'm speaking a different language when I'm trying to order something or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the th reasons I think that your work in particular really connects with us in Australia is that we are allergic to taking ourselves too seriously. Mm -hmm. And obviously, your work is hilarious in a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of ways. But I wondered, 
you know, in the US, that sort of thing is a little bit harder to find, I think. And I wondered whether you ever have been criticised for being not serious enough in your poetry. Well, the thing is, it's, it's so funny with, with what does serious mean and what does humour mean and all that. And I think that, because um, there are obviously, there are poets who are pretty close to the mainstream who are ha-ha funny. Mm. Like their work is doing, being funny. Yeah. And, and that's... That's kind of a, and people feel, you know, a pleasure in them, and they're accepted in a certain way. But I think that my funny is like you don't necessarily know it's going to be there. No, of. that's right. You know, it like sneaks I'm in. More yeah. like your friend who suddenly is funny. Yeah. I think you know, and so I think, and I think it's class. I think what that's what we're really talking about right. is is how stuff comes from behind. A thought suddenly presents itself, which wasn't what you thought you were, you know, and, and I'm always interested in that, like changing the order of things. Yeah, um, yeah, there's non sequiturs. Yeah, 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 and I think part of it is that that was how I got permission to get my meaning out, like growing up and stuff. I was, you know, not, I was not, in a um, privileged background and so it was like there were ways you know making art being a class clown um, saying something out of the blue being I mean I wasn't expected to be successful mm. you know I was the middle child my brother was the smart one right you know so they're just the whole I mean it's really interesting to, ha to be more established now and known and to realize that I don't have to be coming out from behind all the time. You yeah, know, I can start with something. Yeah, you know, and it's a, it's a challenge to to take my own privilege into account and, and structure things differently. Yeah, well, I I wondered about that because, I mean, I was speaking to somebody a couple of months ago, and he asked me, "Who's a rock star poet?" And I immediately said, "Eileen Myers." Oh, yeah, that's one of my. Nicknamed, <laughs> yeah, title. One of my titles. So, yeah. but but again, that does that does say cultural power outside of the institution of literature. Because I still don't, you know, it's like the National Book Award has passed once again, and it's like I had a new book, mm. and I thought, well, I've had twenty-two books. Why couldn't I be long-listed? I mean, not even getting the award, but just be one of the some. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. You know? What do you think that's about? Well, I mean, I think we were, I mean, I have to take into account my whiteness. I think we're, we're in a moment where I think that, rightly so, it, that there's a whole different attention to poets of color, you know? And so they're the front of the pack at this time. And younger poets, which is the way the world has been spinning for a decade or two, too, because I think when I was young, Older poets have the prestige, right? But then now that I've become older, younger poets seem to be the desired, you know. And that's just yeah. fun, you know. So there's a way in which I feel like there's an outsiderness that that I can't remember your question. What was your question? Um, oh gosh, it's gone out of my mind too. Um, what, I, I suppose oh. I was asking about success. And yeah, yeah. And it, so I think it, it's a mixed. It's a mixed. I think my success right now is that like when I have a new book, and I have an event, like two hundred people will show up at the reading. I have crowds of people at readings, you know. Yep. And I sell plenty of books, and I don't get reviewed so much because somehow or other that's not that's going to you know and then and um, and I don't get awards and I make a really I mean not I'm fine I can I'm, I have a you know I mean like I have a lot like next year my plan is to not like I had two books come out last year so I just 
traveled so much. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to Australia, that, interestingly. But it's a long way. I would have gone. I wasn't invited. You know? <laughs> Come on, guys. But what are we doing? I know. Sydney didn't. They had. They. You know. I had a few years where I was famous. Right. And now I'm just Eileen again. No, I know? think I think you're always going to be famous you to know? us. But but um. So I did, but I did. Tra I traveled extensively, and I started to get a lot more. Right here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And now I get foreign rights, which I never did. I never sold my books to foreign. You know. Mm -hmm. So then I'm doing international. So all that's been great, but. Next year, my plan, I have a house in Marfa, Texas, and um, I'm just going to go and not travel. Right. And finish a book. Right. And do nothing, you know? And I'm so excited. But, but here's the success part. It's like, I believe I have enough passive income that I don't have to worry economically. And that's really cool. It's, I'll be 74 by the time I get to next year. And I think that's, that feels like success for me, that I can take, I've never had a year of my life where I just wrote. That's phenomenal. Maybe I collected unemployment in 1978, when I was 28, and it was a really great year. <laughs> that was a good year too, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's sort of like, so that, that's how I count my success, and I really have to, when I have my, you know, I was, I had about five or six hours of sadness the day that they announced the long list of the National Book Awards. I thought, again, yeah. you know, never, you know, yeah. and I just think, no, but my award is, is actually having kind of an awesome life as a poet, and, you know, as poets, people are always like, well, you don't make a living as a poet, and I'm like, no, actually, I do, okay. and yeah. that's really fun, that's yeah. just like, yeah, and yeah. I made a ridiculous choice, and my gamble worked. Yeah. So. This is the first one I have dog-eared in the selected. It's called Medium Poem. I was the second of three children, born in Middlesex County, smack in the middle of the 20th century. I have no womb memories to the point of doubting my tenancy. Afterlife seems a dubious conjecture. I'll tell you when I get there. Pausing in the middle of ladders, I smoke a cigarette for Wednesdays when I am comfortable, and it is always Wednesday, and I am never sure, and I am always here. So, I guess, you know, you've done a lot of interviews and you've been asked probably a lot of the same questions. But the answer, it's always a different day. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's true. But what I did sort of want to get towards is things outside of writing that you, that you care about and that you're interested in, because, um, I know now that you don't actually spend a whole bunch of time here in New York, you know, doing a literary scene thing. I, yeah, I do and I don't. You know, it depends. I'll be here like all of December. Right, okay. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah. So. But when you're away from here, what are you spending your time doing? You're in Marfa. No. Well, I'm walking my dog. How does she like He's obsessed it? with large farm animals. <laughs> Is that a problem when you're out walking? No, it's great. Okay. You love horses, cows. Most days I take her, you know, there are horses right in the middle of town, basically. Mm -hmm. So I take her and a bunch of carrots. That's a part of my day, you know. Um, taking care of my house, doing little things, writing, re reading. I like to, I mean, like I read, like to read more than anything in the world. What do you, um, is there anything that sticks in your mind that you've read recently? It's a horrible question to ask somebody on the spot. Right, right, right. I know, because I, I feel like, what was that last big, well, I did read, I did read um, the Hilary Mantel series. I just finished. Did you read those? I haven't, no. I mean, I kind of, I mean, I'm just, I'm enjoying history in a way that I never did when I was younger. And, and um, Thomas Wyatt, the poet, is a, is a character. Oh, wow, okay. Which is really interesting because I've never been, there was somebody I was involved with 
in the 80s who loved Thomas Wyatt, and she gave me the book, a book of his poetry. Mm. And she died recently. And I'm reading this book, and he's in it. And then suddenly I go through my bookshelf and I find the book that she gave me, and now I'm reading Thomas Wyatt. You know? And enjoying it? Oh, yeah, very, very interesting. And it's just like we, and, and Marfa, we have a, um, a theater group. This is, I mean, this is what I was doing most recently. And we, it's like a guy who was involved at the Chinati Foundation. Do you know what that is? No. It's like, well, Donald Judd is the big artist in, I mean, he's dead now, but he is an artist who went to Marfa in the 70s got some European money. He was a generation artist who wanted to get art outside of the museums and also have art not be just up for a month, but to stay. And he did these abstract, minimalist sculptures. So he got European money to buy some. It was a former military base with a lot of big empty buildings. And he was the generation that, that um, populated Soho, like when, they, when manufacturing left New York that generation of artists who were like, these lofts, we can use them for painting, you know? Right, right. So he bought, he owned a building, he wasn't, didn't come from wealth, but he was smart, so he bought a building in New York, and then when he went to Texas, he saw that he could have what he wanted. So he contacted some Europeans and got some, and they bought some buildings and made permanent installations of his work, John Chamberlain's, it's mostly guys but it's changed a little bit now, Ronnie Horn is there. Mm -hmm. But it's, it became, during his lifetime, and especially after it became an institution, and it made a bi, a kind of a biracial town become sort of an art center in a weird way. So people from all over the world come. So it, we, it's a town with a population of 2,000 and sometimes 20,000. So Rob Wiener, a guy who worked at the Chinati Foundation and knew Donald Judd, also has a theater background, and so he lives in the middle of town. He has a, a house with a big long table, and every Wednesday night, we'll pick a play, and then we'll read it for two years, four years, three years. You know, like, and we, it's a shifting population, like local people, people who come and go like me, people who are there on residencies, people who just love to come to Marfa, just read the play, and then at a certain point, we have a kind of a performance of some sort. So oh, we, that sounds fantastic. So we read Measure for Measure for five years. Oh my god. And we just had a performance last week. So that's what I do in Marfa. It was amazing. Did, so you performed as well? Mm. Really? Yeah. What was your role? Aeschylus. That's so the first, the first line in the play is Aeschylus. The Duke says, and I go, my lord. No. This is fabulous. I, so, but you do come back here periodically. Um, oh yeah, I mean sometimes I'm here. Well, for one thing, I have a rent-stabilized apartment, and what that means is that you have to spend half your time in your apartment, or you lose it. Oh, I see. They're cheap. I've had it since. I mean, it's so funny. I've moved into my apartment when I was 27, and last year I was 72, and I thought this is really weird that it's I have the same this place thing. the whole yeah, time. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I lived a few other places before I had this apartment, but this was basically where I spent my life in New York. One of the things, that, the themes that comes up when I've been talking to people who live here is just this constant refrain of how much things have changed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wondered, I mean, you sort of talked a bit about this before, but I wondered how that, what you've noticed in terms of poetry in the city, what's, what's been lost and what's been gained. Hmm. I mean, it's always true that there's more poets. There's always more poets. There was always more than there were yeah. before. <laughs> yeah, like, 
when we saw, when I was a young poet, and I would see photographs of the poets, it'd be like all the famous poets were in one shot, and I was like, is that all? I mean, obviously there were more poets than no, that. No, no, but like, yeah, you could get them all in a, in a single yeah. frame. Yeah. And we're not, it's not like that now, no. you know? And there's more, I mean, I think with the rise of um, writing programs, I think schools of poetry are not as separate, though they are. Mm. Like, there are things that were considered kind of avant-garde practices, and now they have names and they're taught in grad programs. Such as? Um, formal constraints. Okay, that's a... Like any any operation, you know, before you write the poem, you're you're just not going to use the letter E, oh, okay. or you're gonna, you know, would only use bound text, or you're gonna, you know, only write, you're gonna only engage with objects on this table, no matter what, right, right, right. you know, stuff like that. So, or um, erasures, people love them. Yes, I was like that new Nicole Seeley book out that I mean, Ferguson like, What the fuck? That's just like. <laughs> It's like poetry, avant-garde poetry 101. It's very strange to me too, I, because there seems to be a constant argument about whether it's okay to do an erasure. Well, it's not that it's okay or not okay, but who gives a shit? <laughs> it's like it was part of how we were introduced to the idea of textuality. Yeah. But it's so, I mean, it's just like everybody discovers it once when they're like in their 20s. Yeah. But these guys discover it late. Yeah. And it's like an amazing idea and, you know, you get like a National Book Award. I mean, I just like, I was like, seriously? Yeah, I, I was very impressed with myself the first time I managed to do an erasure and then I never felt the need to do another one. No. I just thought, okay, well, that was that. So the same as, you know, when you cut up the words and put them in an envelope and pull them out, you're like, cool, okay, so I made a poem out of words in a random order and that's the only time I ever need to do that. And I mean, I will say, I will say one of the things that I, it's interesting because the first one of my workshop, the first workshops I ever went to was led by Alice Notley, and she was, I believe, she says this is not true, but I think it's true. She said she was giving us a, um, an exercise that she had gotten from Bernadette Mayer, and it was about. Can I have your napkin? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I think I have a greater need. <laughs> um, she read aloud from a. South Polar Shackleton's diary, a South Polar expedition. And she just read, there were like, her workshop was packed, it was very hot, it was like 1975 or something. And she's reading aloud, she goes, so just, while I'm reading, just take down words, lines, phrases, single words, just take what you like. So we're all doing that. And then, okay, after like 10 minutes, she goes, okay, so now you're gonna write a poem using only these words, and you can't add you can't add, you can't change the tense of the words. Okay. You can't add articles. If you don't have articles, you can't write yet these. And so you can only use the words you have. You can use any word as many times as you want. You could throw things out. You can change the order, but you can only write a poem with these, this material. And you can give it an original title. And that to me is so much more interesting than an erasure because right. it's using, it's using your, listening skills yeah, and it's memory. using yeah. yeah it's like an erasure just seems like I mean I know I remember the erasure I did of the second sex Simone was sex and sex and thinking this was so interesting and then showing it to somebody and they were like you know yeah I used to do I've done that
Alright, this is the one I mentioned at the start called The Honey Bear. Billie Holiday was on the radio. I was standing in the kitchen, smoking my cigarette, of this pack I plan to finish tonight, last night of smoking youth. I made a cup of this funny kind of tea I've had hanging around. A little too sweet, an odd mix. My only impulse was to make it sweeter. Ivy Anderson was singing pretty late tonight in my very bright kitchen. I'm standing by the tub, feeling a little older, nearly 30, in my very bright kitchen tonight. I'm not a bad looking woman, I suppose. Oh, it's very quiet in my kitchen tonight. I'm squeezing this plastic honey bear, a noodle of honey dripping into the odd sweet tea. It's pretty late. Honey bear's cover was loose and somehow honey dripping down the bear's face, catching in the crevices beneath the bear's eyes. Oh, very sad and sweet. I'm standing in my kitchen. Oh, honey, I'm staring at the honey bear's face. One of the biggest changes I've seen in the poetry world right. is taking avant-garde practices out of a community or out of an aesthetic and, and suddenly make fetishizing them. Yeah, okay. And so it's just sort of like, it's kind of like, that would not seem so brilliant if you did a lot of other interesting things. <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't so magnified. Right? Yeah, it's sort yeah. of like certain, certain people, certain writers and certain thinkers that I'm not excited about but I see as very popular, I think, well, that's just because they're, they're like the most interesting person that this boring person has ever met. <laughs> So that's like, yeah. you don't have interesting, smart friends, so you think this writer is incredible. It is incredible, yeah. Yeah, and, that's really true. And I was just like, it's not that they're not smart, it's just that they're kind of averagely weird. <laughs> you know? So anyway, that's, so I think it's just like there is a, it's a gen, there's a gentrification of culture. And obviously it's just harder for people. I and mean, we all, it's so interesting, we all lived alone. Apartments were a hundred dollars, and so everybody had a little apartment with a bathtub in the kitchen. And it was, you know, two or three hundred square feet, and it just meant you had so much room to write and think, and, and so think. much time. Yeah, and think on your own. You made a hundred dollars a week. Your rent was a hundred dollars a month. You know, yeah. and it was easy. And I just think that it's just like the whole thing of, you know, graduate programs and PhDs and high rents and living with a lot of people and never, li never living alone until you're like really successful. Mm. You know, it's just like a whole other... Yeah, it shapes your thinking in a certain way. I think so. You mentioned Alice Notley and Bernadette Mayer, who's a, a favorite of mine. Are there poets that you think are being forgotten too quickly that we should be remembering, thinking um, about more? I think there always are, but, well, I mean, there are people who are living, like Judy Gron. Do you know Judy Gron? No. She's a queer poet whose great poem is A Woman is Talking to Death. Have you gotten my anthology by any chance, Pathetic Literature? Not that one. No, I'm afraid. It just so. came out like last year. Right, I, right. I could have given you a copy. I didn't know. Um, but, um, so the whole, it's, it's a 14 page poem. It's an amazing poem, but it's kind of an epic. But she's like so known in, I think, the American queer community, certain part of it, but not, you know, you know, and she's like just poetry history, you know, she's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know 
if there's an answer there, but the thing that you said about all the poets being able to fit into a single frame, yeah. and now that just being totally unthinkable, mm -hmm. is that's really, really significant and something that I think people have don't really grapple with. Mm -hmm. I feel like we still just walk around acting as if we're all going to become, I don't know, Robert Lowell or something like that. Uh -huh. I'm thinking of your poem about him as I say that. Right, right. But, uh, but you know, it's just, there's a volume question there. Like, how do you, how do you carve out a life as a poet when there are like 60,000 other people doing the same thing? Okay, this is called On the Death of Robert Lowell. Oh, I don't give a shit. He was an old white-haired man insensate beyond belief and filled with much anxiety about his imagined pain. Not that I'd know. I hate fucking wasps. <laughs> the guy was a loon. Signed up for spring semester at McLean's, a really lush retreat among pines and hippie attendants. Ray Charles also once rested there. So did James Taylor. The famous, as we know, are nuts. Take Robert Lowell, the old white-haired coot. Fucking dead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's really going to annoy some people. Um, but I think it's the same question as, it's a survival question, because it's like, how do you, I remember years ago somebody saying about living in New York. Well, the thing, you, the thing about living in New York is that you just have to understand that, like, if you have an apartment, there's like 16 people in line who want it yeah. and will take it. If you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, there's 10 people that want them. You know what I mean? With a job, <laughs> yeah. sick, you know, like everything is, is, is kind of turfy. And so, so I think that one's existence as a poet, it's probably, I mean, all of that is probably just accelerated. And that is what I, you know, there was something sleepy about the 70s. You know, just like, you know, those are my generation. It's just like, it's such a hackneyed statement but it is true it's that it's true, like yeah. I mean I'm reading like, among the things I'm reading right now I'm reading Gulliver's Travels right. and what I love about I mean I love Jonathan Swift but what I love is the way he wrote prose with the tempo of another time there's so many words and he really takes his time and I realized that reading is how I get, I mean, I think it's part of what I was, you know, like what I was feeling when I was reading. Hilary Mantel was really good at invoking his time, you know, but then other books that I read, you know, point to that same time and different. Victor Hugo, I've been into Victor Hugo lately, and I've read, you know, I read Les Mis, but more than... Huh? It's such an amazing book. Yeah. yeah. And then I, but one of the, I mean, the book that yeah. triggered me was um, The Man Who Laughs. You know this book? Oh, no. It's what the Joker was, the character the Joker was from this book. Right. Because they made a movie of it in the 20s, and then the person who did Batman took the character out of the wow. movie. Wow, okay. Made it be a character, you know. Yeah. So it's sort of like, he's so interesting, you know. But again, it's sort of like, he just has all this time. He's writing in a whole other, you know, and it's just like, I think that's the gift of literature. Is it like I can say, oh, the 70s, you know, but it's like, you can go to the 70s, just read people who are writing in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. You absolutely. know, it's just like, and I think we do, we do nurture an alternate sense of time and po poetry. I think that's why 
that's why we loved it. You know, you know, I just feel like in my 20s when I made the decision to be a poet. Part of it was that I hadn't had enough time yet. I had to, I grew up before I had my childhood, and I just felt like there was just a, there was just a wildness and a spaciousness that I felt like I hadn't had. I had, I was, you know, my family was very constricting, and there was a lot of, I had to be a good son, you know, like my dad died, and my mother, I was the middle kid, and I wanted to be the good one, and I, you know what I mean, like, it was just like, I did my stuff, and I drank, and I was wild, and I to dances and did all these things, but I was, I was sort of sneaking around because I just couldn't break out, and I felt like my life as a young person, as a young person who decided to be a poet, was really a decision to live in my own time. And I, I so relate to that. Yeah, so and that's still the challenge. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like I don't, I don't ever want to give it up. Like I'm never willing to go back to being the good child. Right, right. Like I right. never want to do that again, which is, which is a problem when you do have to make money. It was a week of my trip when it just pissed down rain for like three days and it flooded and a whole bunch of um you know the subway was all fucked up and the people's houses were flooded and it was pretty bad my roof was leaking um in a number of places uh so with that in mind i'm going to read this one it's called cigarette girl a long raindrop more of a tear fell from an awning or a nail shit the top of a roof and hit my neck inside my coat. I don't know how it got in so perfectly and struck my flesh, my warm white neck on a rainy night in winter. I almost said this to you. She wanting to move on. If I spoke another language, I'd break into it now. There's nothing lonelier than a lonely American. My limits contract and expand. I grab the white handle of my speech like it's an umbrella and I shake it free of words. Empty American balloon, holy smoke. Looking out at the street, it's nothing to know you. Puff. People, I mean, I feel like the opportunity, like as a known poet, I get asked to be in these mentorship programs and I get at, you know, and I'm like, um, asked to be on board and I really try and avoid that stuff like the plague yeah yeah, yeah I was yeah. like I'm not not wanting to be your corporate power poet here you know and I think I'm sure it's 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 made it be that I don't get looked at for certain things because I'm not willing to play the game yeah, exactly yeah, play you know the game. I mean I decide which games I'm willing to play yeah you know. but it is an exercise in protecting one's time exactly. and energy. Yeah, yeah. Because you could be, I mean, you're sitting here with me, which I appreciate so much, but you could be doing like six of these a day if you weren't careful. I feel, yeah, this, you know, it's not that bad, but it can be. And I have to think, well, what is it that I'm doing at this point in time? Like, I'm not selling myself. You know, and next year I think it'll be interesting to see how, how disciplined I am about like even not even doing things like this. Yeah, yeah. You know, like maybe just stop talking about Eileen while I'm writing a book. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I caught you before you went into that mode. Um, I'm just thinking about all the poets at home. I mean, there's a, a brilliant young poet who wrote a book that you, you 
he might have sent you, which is called Dear Eileen. Oh yes, and I think and I, I I didn't write them back. I, I keep carrying the book around. I read it with great appreciation. It's phenomenal. Yeah. He's he's absolutely incredible. Is he a post? He's a job or is a postal worker, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 What's yeah. it, Brian? Uh, Gareth Morgan. Is his ah, name. Oh. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I'm just trying to think about like what would people want me to ask you and I'm wondering like what you would want to say to people like Garrett's age like he's you know 30-ish starting out really really phenomenal poet but like as we've said moving into this world of like many many thousands of people doing the same thing right right I don't know. I mean, I think it seems like I like what he wrote and I like what he sent me, so I think he's, he's already doing something good. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know I don't know about advice. I'm not fair sure enough. I believe in it so much. Yeah, fair enough. You know? But I think I do believe make, make shit up, and that includes your life. I really love this one. This is just called Hi, and it's dedicated to Steve Carey. You made me smell. I didn't smell at all before I met you. Smells are pouring out of my clothes, feet, my socks, my hair. This is gross. You've made me monstrous. And I love it. I knew a man who laughed at himself for being this way, stinking of love. It was what he was, a stinking factory of his love, lying there all day, going out to get a smoke. I'm the East Coast version of that, since I met you since the era of my famous resistance to you ended. It began like the wind. I am a window to the world. The mailman can see me. He waves. Children out there playing. It's even this way when I'm out there. Except when I hold your hand, I want it to be this exception. I've become not a woman or a man. The heart pumps. The man is dead. And it's spring. It's a smelly season. Don't you think the earth knows? The bugs are beginning to look around. You're throwing your mother's old stuff out. Your friends are beginning to understand. I want to show mine something different, the ripples I've become. I'm influence, the way language changes, and rocks heal and burn, meat stretches. Your little round animal face keeps coming around the corner. But oh no, now you're coming down. I'm looking up. I, I was always drawn to poetry because I think it's the thing that you can use everything else in. Because I just wanted to do everything and I was never going to be able to decide what I was going to do when I grew up. And when I realized that any body of knowledge or information that intrigues you can be used in poetry. And you can kind of, in a way, keep moving. You know, because I feel like... No, I just feel like there just isn't enough life for all the things that I might want to do or want to be. Yeah. I mean, I always feel, already feel like that's the thing that's a little weird about being 73, is that I think, God, I, I mean, A, I better write my book next year because I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's sort of like mortality, there's like the whole, it's like a hole in the room someplace and nobody's going to tell you where it is. <laughs> But it's much closer than it ever was before. You can step in the hole at any time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like having to make different choices, but still knowing, like, I might get, I might be able to do all that travel in South America, and I might be able to 
live in a foreign language and learn. I mean, but I really, if I'm, if I really need to do those things, I have to do them. So that was lunch with Eileen Miles. I have two more interviews that I managed to do while I was in New York, and uh, at least one episode that I want to try to put together, attempting to sum it all up. Like I said, I, I wish I could do every single part of it again. We did talk a little bit in there about Nicole Seeley's book, The Ferguson Report. I have to admit, I really enjoyed just kind of offhand dismissing that book, Um, but I hadn't read it. I still haven't read it. Tom actually bought it for me when he was overseas. He's been overseas as well. So I'm going to take some time to actually look at it and come to my own conclusions. In the meantime, though, I do want to recommend to you Uh, a recent episode of my sister podcast, Slee Ricketts. Episode 125 is called The Reheater of Memories. And Matthew talks on there about, about this book and about, you know, some of the questions that it raises just through the fact of existing. Yeah, I think, I think this book raises some questions and I think it is really worth asking and attempting to answer them. So that's it from me today. I'm going to sign off um, because I'm jet lagged and because I really, really, really fucking miss New York and I miss all the people who were there. And if I talk any longer, I am just going to start crying. (laughs) So (laughs) once was enough for that. Uh, Let's leave it there. And thank you again, Pam. And thank you, Eileen. You are both the absolute best.